Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Conspiracy Farm, where we don't start the conspiracies, we just add the water. And now, your host of the most state-of-the-art, most informed podcast on the interweb, I present to you, Pat Militage and Jeffrey Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode for the archives. Jeffrey Wilson, the Conspiracy Farm, riding shotgun with my partner in crime, UFC Hall of Famer, Eater of Worlds, Pat Militich. How are we, champ? I'm doing good. I was, you know, in a career that punched me into being interested in the 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 unknown. So look, here I am. Well, like like you said with with uh, Joe Joe For, uh, Joe Foreman Joe uh, Rogan when you were on, you're a contrarian thinker, man, and you kind of gravitate gravitate toward other contrarian thinkers. We um we really haven't. We inter- think the opposite of what we're taught because we're being taught that for a reason, correct? Yeah, I mean, and you know, I, conspiracy theorists. I I really kind of object to that term, even though our show is called the Conspiracy Farm. We're just critical thinkers, man. We question official narratives, et cetera, et cetera. And the conversation we're having today is like, whoa. This this gentleman not only questions kind of the official narrative on things, but he's really dug dug deep down the rabbit hole um, to make some very very interesting connections on things. Man, doing the show prep on this was really really fascinating. We've been doing shows on ancient civilizations. Civilizations have come and gone. The hidden truth about about that fact. And this gentleman, man, has a very very interesting take on all of that. Um, David Matheson is joining us today. He's really an author, just pumping out just books like a champ. Um, star myths of the world, um, ancient myths, ancient wisdom, and um, a, a great many more, man. He just is, is essentially one of his quotes that I found fascinating. Well, we'll, we'll get into it. David Matheson, how are you doing today, sir? And thank you for taking the time and hanging out with us. I'm really good, Jeffrey and Pat. Thanks for having me on the show. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. So thanks for inviting me. For sure, brother. For sure, man. And it's it's very fascinating to hear like alternative philosophies on stuff. We Like I said, we've had on different people like uh, Matt LaCroix kind of saying what you're saying about the myths that we've heard about have a certain, you know, different civilizations kind of utilize these myths in different ways. And your, you, you know, your analysis and your study is, is no exception. So, like I said, I want to set you up and kind of let, have you kind of explain what you do. And a quote that I kind of found fascinating is something I think that you could really kind of expound on. All the world's myths are based on a common system of celestial metaphor. Help us out with that, man. Talk us about how you got into this work and, and what your work is all about, kind of related to what I just said. What's what's Matthew Matheson all about? Or, I'm sorry, David Matheson all about? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's great. Um, yeah, so when I say all the world's myths are based on celestial metaphor, I mean the ancient myths that are given to every culture on our planet has these Original instructions is what a uh, author that I like named Peter Kingsley has called these ancient traditions or sacred stories that are given to every people around the world. We find all the way around the world that every culture has some kind of set of sacred stories or original instructions. I really like that term. And in some cultures, those are passed down orally. Right by stories or song. A lot of times it's in verse, which I think is probably important. The fact that even the Greek myths are written down in verse. 
the yeah. Vedas, the Vedas of India are written down in verse. So there's a connection to music and harmony and rhythm, but um, sometimes they're passed down orally in a sacred tradition that has to be memorized by certain wisdom keepers or storytellers. And sometimes they've been written down and we call those scriptures, usually uh, ancient scriptures. Obviously the Bible uh, is called scriptures, but the Vedas of ancient India are scriptures. The Greek uh, myths are recorded in scriptures that have survived the Egyptian texts that are carved into stone or a form of scripture. So when I'm talking about the ancient myths, I'm talking about the ancient myths, scriptures, and sacred stories of virtually every single culture on every inhabited continent and every inhabited island across the Pacific. You know, we have a culture that's spread out across the Pacific Islands, and they have myths that involve the hero Maui and many other right. figures and gods and characters. Right. And all these, when I say they're all based on celestial metaphor, or I'll say virtually all, because I don't pretend to have seen every single myth in every single right, culture, right, right. but but it is unbelievable amount of evidence that these stories are all based on celestial metaphor, by which I mean that the figures in those myths, the characters, whether it's Zeus or Thor or Odin, or all the figures in the Bible from the beginning, all the way from Genesis, all the way to Revelation, those texts that are collected in the scriptures that we call the Bible, the figures like Moses and David and Solomon right. and Jesus and all the 12 disciples are based on specific constellations in the night sky. And so is those, that to say, is that to say like these people did or did like David or Moses did exist and then they utilize these constellations to kind of tell their story or you're saying they utilize these constellations to kind of not fabricate but create these stories? Yeah, well that's a really good question. Um, so I'll always try and stick to what I can show with evidence and I'll say. I don't know because I wasn't there, but I'll tell you that the evidence is pretty overwhelming to me that they're all based on celestial metaphor. And so some people really, really have a hard time letting go of the idea that they might also have been historical. I'm not sure why that is that people have that, that the stories have to involve a historical person to have truth that's applicable to our life. But the, the, the problem that I, you know, a lot of people say, well, well, couldn't Moses have lived, but, um, you know, um, all these stories about him are based on the stars. Okay, well, our, what I'm saying is all the stories that are in the text can be shown to be based on actual constellations and groupings of stars. And then when you go across the ocean to the Maui stories, and he's doing something very similar. For example, Samson uh, slays a thousand men with a jawbone the jawbone of an ass, right? That's in the book of uh, Judges. And all the way across the world in the Pacific, Maui takes up the jawbone of his grandmother at one point and uses that as a weapon. So for people who say, well, couldn't Samson have been a real character? I say, well, of course he could have been, but there's a constellation that I believe Samson is, uh, that story is based on at that point, and there's a jawbone 
of an ass right next to that constellation that Samson uses. But if Samson, you know, if yeah. Samson is real, then is Maui not real? Or did they both just happen to choose a jawbone? And then there's actually a South American myth where a different character uses a jawbone. So either people are using jawbones around the world and they just happen to all, um, you know, match up with constellations. Well, and I, and well. I get that. I get that. But that's what the reason my question was, because we had on another gentleman, Matthew LaCroix, and I've, I've read other kind of other research where it's like we had, as you even stated, civilization has come and gone multiple times throughout history. And a lot of times when you go back to your Nagamati scriptures, your Sumerian kings list, very, very ancient stuff that supposedly actually happened. And then throughout history, whether it's Zeus, Apollo, Neptune, etc., they utilize these different myths of Norse myths, um, you know, Roman myths, Greek myths to explain something that actually happened back in the day. Right. But I just and not to, and, no, go ahead, Pat. and not to, not to actually complicate things. But, you know, you think about, you know, uh, David and Goliath, you know, they've they've actually exposed, you know, civilizations of giants there you know and and the interesting thing is you know when we've had scientists on before who are are brilliant people they say well yeah they've they've exposed you know civilizations of giants animals were huge back then why wouldn't the humans have been huge and it it, but so there's there's a lot of potential truth to this stuff that it actually happened too well and even getting into i mean uh and i'll let you kind of go with this David, you know, you're kind of whatever you want to call it, Da Vinci Code, this this notion that there are hidden secrets within the architecture, not just the physical architecture, but like where these places, these buildings were placed or, you know, just the certain mathematics of it. There's information in, in paintings of Da Vinci and these different great artists hid certain things in certain works of their art. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, definitely go check out David Matheson's page because the visual representation of this is really, really powerful. Because like I told David off air, you know, just watching what he was saying about how these these myths have been used over and over again, look at it, particularly what stu- stood out to me was Hercules. These different time frames of where this this image of this person with his hand up, leg back, heel up, there's certain visual is consistent throughout certain time periods. So I mean, I think there's a lot of credence to what you're saying. I'm just wondering if it's if it's something like WWE, ancient WWE. Well, let's just create history, guys, and then util- utilize the stars just to create a reality when that could absolutely be true. But I just find it interesting counter juxtaposing with other research we've heard that actual stuff did occur, and they utilize these myths to kind of explain ancient stuff that did occur. But there's no doubt that there's huge sim- symbolic links in what you're saying as far as the visual of so many different works of art throughout history. Yeah. No, and, and linking to constellations. Yeah. And I appreciate that you've, you know, dug so much into my stuff, Jeffrey, and I've been listening to my conspiracy farm and getting ready to talk on the show. And one thing <laughs> I really love about your show is that you've said, you said it, you know, almost in these exact words to some guests not too long ago. I just love it that we can come on the air and talk about things in a civil way. And we don't yeah. always have to necessarily agree with one another. You know, right. there's, there's, there's hardly, I don't think there's any two human beings in the world that agree with one another on a hundred percent of things, but uh, just, just, just because uh, you, Pat and me don't all agree on exactly, you know, at the sure. end of the conversation, we may not all agree, but um, I love talking about the evidence. So, um, and I love also that other researchers are exploring I think there's a lot of exploring going on about 
misrepresentations that we've been told about history. And so, you talked about Graham, beautiful, Graham Hancock. Truth, right? Yeah. You talked about Graham a lot in your in your stuff, and that's another person who's questioned stuff. I'm sorry, Pat. What did you say there? I was just saying, it's a beautiful search for the truth, without a doubt. You know, there's yeah. no anger in the truth, right? Exactly. That's- exactly. You don't have to get you don't have to get angry if you if you're so so. I try and really so to not get too because this is a vast subject, as you've you know, Jeffrey's already mentioned some of the artwork which we can draw into the conversation too but what i really like to try and start with is let me explain some of the evidence of what i found then we could talk about maybe where it came from and to pat's point about you know giant skeletons i certainly don't deny that there's been giant skeletons in fact you mentioned you know it was really neat that i got to um, i met graham hancock a couple of times but i got to be at the serpent yeah at the serpent mound when he was there in 2017 at summer solstice which we're coming up again on a summer solstice here as we record this on june 18th in 2019 right but in 2017 i was there at the serpent mound when graham hancock was there giving a talk with ross hamilton it was fantastic i got to give a little presentation about the work that i'm doing and we got to look at the serpent mound and see the sunsets um, you know, as they're going down that the head of the serpent is pointing to, but also there at the serpent mound site, there are mounds, uh, like grave mounds where there were giant skeletons, at least allegedly found in the 1800s and taken away. Mm -hmm. And they talked about, you know, this skeleton was nine feet tall and basically there was no legs from the kneecaps on down those bones were missing and it was nine feet from there so um you know they have they have records from people who are writing this in the 1800s who you know i don't know if if they're it's not like we had a youtube video (laughs) but i don't know why they would be lying about that and they were describing you know this this skeleton had this on his arm this kind of bracelet and this skeleton had this kind of dagger but it, it all kind of fell apart when we tried to pick it up um so where it came from, I've got opinions about that, but I do, first of all, the amount of evidence worldwide that what I said about all the myths being based on the constellations is pretty overwhelming. I've now written basically nine books, and they're, <laughs> they turn out to be pretty massive books, and I don't <laughs> say that to brag about writing massive books. Actually, it would probably be more accessible to people if they weren't so massive but there's just so much evidence i'm trying to chronicle it to show that this is very well supported by evidence from myths around the world i've got a whole book that's myths uh, greek myths and tying it to the stars i've got a whole book that's the star myths of the bible i've got a whole book that's star myths of the norse mythology tying to the stars and then i just redid my the first book in that particular series and I called it the ancient worldwide system, and it turned out to be 912 pages. Ooh. But the reason I and I could have broken in obviously into easily into smaller books, but I wanted to show I wanted to go all the way around the globe, basically from Australia to Africa to ancient India, and all the way around basically to every longitude as you circle our spherical Earth, <laughs> um, and uh, and show. That it goes to the Americas. The, was was, the it, was that a jab at flat Earth, David? Was that a jab at flat Earth? There? <laughs> I get so many, I get so many people that come on to you know they don't want to talk about what I'm 
discovering they say yeah this is great but how come you don't know the world is flat and I'm like, well <laughs> i haven't figured oh. that out yet but right. anyway um, but Sorry. i'm pretty convinced i've i've written a blog post about 12 ways you can know that the world is not is spherical without having to go up in a rocket ship but anyway sure. um <laughs> they the 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 reason i put this whole um kind of world tour into one book is to kind of try and show the resonance as it builds and builds as you go around the world. So first, I would say that the evidence is very, very overwhelming. And we could talk about a few specific examples if you want, um, you know, after I'll pause. But Absolutely. No, then, go for it, brother. Then we, can, then, then we can get into, well, how did this all get here? And at that point, I am giving you my opinion because – I can tell you, look, here's the evidence that Thor is based on the stars. Here's the evidence that this story from the New Testament is based on the stars. And that's very um, evidence-based. Well, and then, when you get into the placement of like, you know, I didn't mean to cut you up, but the pyramids at Giza, like their placement is lined up with Orion. That was not built in 4500 BC for the Pharaoh Khufu. This was built way, way longer before. And this supposedly ancient civilization had an understanding of the circumference of the earth, pi, the golden ratio, Fibonacci sequence. And that was supposedly, you know, these these ancient, ancient people. So clearly something, they, they were, they received some measure of technology or understanding of the stars that we clearly don't understand well not, don't understand today but it makes you wonder we, how are these we, how are these ancient we, people we, doing we, these magnificent things yeah so then that's another aspect to the story is how did we lose this knowledge because what i think happened was a lot of this knowledge was kind of um we're not kind of stamped out deliberately for sure um, and we could we could get into that but uh yeah, so the alignment the great floods, which we've talked about before. Yeah, the different cataclysms. Let yeah, me... and and well, I was going to just just say on the uh, the the alignments of the pyramids. You know, to the the argument that they're lined up like the stars of Orion's belt is really not my argument. It's more Robert Bavall and Graham Hancock have written about that. Oh, for but sure. But I do, you know, and whether and I think they've got a strong argument there. But I don't, you know, I don't rise or fall on that particular argument. But the the, it is amazing the correspondence that you mentioned, for instance, of the Great Pyramid to the dimensions of the Earth. I mean, the the there's a ratio between the height and the base and the um, dimensions of the Great Pyramid that corresponds to the size of our spherical Earth, or specifically Absolutely. the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. And you could say, well, there's a ratio between any building and the size of the Earth, right? There's a ratio between my house and the size of the Earth, but it actually comes to a ratio that has the number 432 in it. And 432 is a, one of those processional numbers that has to do with the celestial phenomena of procession, which is encoded in all these myths as well. It's in the Odyssey. Sure. It's in the Norse myths. So, so, they were, so, so they were able to learn this from observations of the stars. And there was no, let's say, alien um, influence on any of this. Or is that possible? <laughs> Yeah. So once again, I'm, you know, I'm, so people say, well, could it have been aliens? I'm not on the ancient alien, um, you know, is a necessity to give this to people. I would say that, um, you don't need aliens for this story. And actually my research in some cases goes against a lot of the, a lot of the UFO or ancient alien community likes to say that the myths are, a primitive reaction to seeing spaceships like well 
when they're talking about angels, what that is is a UFO that's shining. You know, and a modern person would say, well, that's its plasma discharge, but the ancient person would describe it as an angel or something like that. So um, a lot of when I'm showing that, well, this is actually the vision of Ezekiel, for instance, is is often said, well, it's that's a primitive attempt to try and describe a UFO. Right. It's actually not that at all. It's a sophisticated metaphor showing basically what we would call an armillary sphere or describing a model of the heavens and how the ecliptic plane tilts up and um, in the summer the, the sun makes an arc that's above the celestial equator in the winter the sun makes an arc that's below the celestial equator right. and all, all those things are described in the vision of Ezekiel and it's a very precise metaphor that's a celestial metaphor it's not a UFO but that being said like I said I'm showing this evidence exists where it all came from I I would argue it came from some ancient there's there's some pretty good evidence that this came from an ancient culture that predates ancient Egypt by a long way predates yeah. ancient Mesopotamia by a long way and was very really? sophisticated very sophisticated and it's yeah it stands alongside all that archaeological evidence that people like Graham Hancock right. and John Anthony West are talking about and they talk about the myths too but the the evidence that when we see that the same system is being used in ancient Egypt that's being used in the Popol Vuh of the Maya that's being used in the myths of Maui that's being used in the myths of Australia that's being used in the myths of Africa that's being used in the Norse myths that is very hard to right. explain with our conventional view of modern history that says well you know the Maya never had any contact with the Europeans and and they didn't ne they didn't necessarily have to have any contact with Europeans or with Egyptians or with um, you know the Norse there's parallels between the Norse myths and the Japanese myths but I don't believe that either of those cultures needed to have contact with one another if they all came if what happened was there was a very ancient culture and Pat it could have been a race of giants a, a culture of giants that us smaller humans all you know eventually ganged up on and killed. Well, that's Maybe what we heard. The origin. We've heard about Atlantis. Uh, Billy Carson was on talking about Atlantis, and I've read this before. Atlantis wasn't necessarily this higher technology just in the Atlantic Ocean. It was a global civilization. That's why you find so many of these uh, megalithic structures, whether it's in, you know, Teotihuacan in Mexico. All over or the world. All yeah. over the world, Bosnia or Gobekli Tepe. I mean, going back way further than we think, you know, advanced people were around. So it is very fascinating. And, it, you know, honestly, when we have these conversations for me, I never am. I'm like, this is this is it. Like, this is the bona fide truth because you're oh, there's more questions. The than science answers. is not settled, Jeffrey. Right? It's not settled, but it's so beautiful because between our conversation we're having with David here, even Matthew or Billy or whatever, we're at least acknowledging that we we haven't been told the full story like something yeah. was going on before even way before before and again ladies and gentlemen go to david matheson's youtube page and his words make so much more sense when you see the connection of these different artifacts and, david, and art throughout the world yeah and david you're saying that all of i mean and i i don't doubt it because you know there's a website Based on ancient star maps, and it's it's the name of the website is escaping me right now. A former broadcast partner of myself uh, pointed me to it, and it was a a gentleman who was a scientist and Freemason and astrologer who had put it together, and it pointed toward Pleiades and and other other areas of of the stars of the constellations that said that basically humans came from is is was you know their belief, so. 
they're talking up to a quarter million years ago and further. So King Sargon of Akkad in Mesopotamia at 4,000 years ago was, was nothing compared to a lot of this right. stuff. Yeah, so this is interesting. Um, so you mentioned Sargon, and Sargon and, and Mesopotamia, that's where we get our f earliest, basically long texts that have survived. There are ancient texts from India, there are ancient texts from Egypt, um, but the Sumerian tablets are considered by conventional archaeology to be the, be the, the oldest ones list, that we the have. The king's list, yeah, where kings supposedly right. reigned yeah. for tens of thousands of years. And some of those oldest texts, like the the stories of the Great Flood, and that it was very shocking to the Assyriologists in the 1800s when they first began to be able to re decipher, decipher yeah. that again after it being lost basically for thousands of years, and they found a flood narrative that was so similar to the Genesis narrative, but from tablets that were like 3000 BC and the Genesis, you know, account is basically, yeah, the Gilgamesh. And so what I was going to say, yeah. And the Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh does have uh, an encounter with the flood survivor in the last tablets of Gilgamesh. And then there's another text called Atrahasis yeah. uh, and Enuma Elish. And these texts talk about gods and goddesses and great cataclysms and battles between the deities and um, also a flood where they try and wipe out man or one of the gods tries to wipe out mankind, but Enki tries to save mankind and Enki saves. Enki and Enlil. And so that's that's kind yeah. of where I was alluding to before of this ancient war with this ancient family. You know, um, the Sumerian Kings list talks about kingship came from above to the earth. I mean, there's so many allusions to something going on. I don't know if it was extraterrestrials or whatever it was, but this ancient civilization that created that had this kind of sibling sibling rivalry or like family war, and then throughout time, it kind of goes goes a little crazy, ladies and gentlemen. Not crazy, but it's interesting how these individuals could reincarnate to like Enlil was supposedly. I'm sorry, Inky was Neptune. It, with the and then Neptune became this person, and then Neptune morphed into this person, myth, mythologized through these different um, Greek and Norse mythologies. So fascinating. I'm good that you've heard about the whole Enlil and Enki because that was kind of the thrust of uh, certain literature I've read. Yeah, yeah. So and those are very very ancient tablets that these are inscribed upon, and those stories. Uh, and I argue this at some pretty great length in my most recent book, which is the Ancient Worldwide System. That's Star Myths of the World, Volume 1, are based on the stars. So Enki is based on a certain constellation, and Enlil is based on a different con constellation, and the battle between the forces of Tiamat and Apsu are based on different constellations on different sides of the Milky Way. And so, and, and so what, what the, the, interesting, the really interesting thing to me is that the very oldest myths that we have this system is already operating. And then uh, equally as old, we have the ancient Egyptian pyramid texts, which also go back to uh, some of those pyramids from the fourth dynasty kings and queens are going back to also before 3000 BC. And on those texts, they're not necessarily telling a long coherent story the same way that the Mesopotamian tablets are. Right. They're talking, they're, they're these, uh, the pyramid texts are almost like the Egyptian book of the dead. 
they're very, they're all actually part of the same family of type of writing, but they'll make references to Osiris. They'll make mm. references to Horus. And all of those stories can also be seen to be based on the same system. So what I'm saying is the yeah. oldest texts that we have are already using the system. And the ancient Vedas, which are also very ancient, using the same system, the gods and goddesses of ancient India, same system. And then in China, we've got some very ancient texts as well. And I make arguments that show same system. So if the oldest civilizations that we know of mm. are already using this system, where'd they get it from? Right. Because they must have got it from something older. And then you mentioned Gobekli Tepe, Jeffrey, I think, when you were yeah. talking there for a little while. And Gobekli Tepe is that is only a recent, you know, phenomenon, a recent discovery that we right. have access to Gobekli Tepe. It was deliberately buried. Yeah and they can date the burial material and say this was deliberately buried is that bizarre no, yeah. no later yeah that it and is. that's a huge huge amount of work to bury that in it's an enormous site 8000 bc so if you think about if it was buried no later than 8000 bc which is 10000 years ago for us yeah. or i've and, heard even older pushing closer to like 14 but old well, well, it had to have been made before it was buried, right? So who knows how long it was in operation right. Right. before it was buried. And so if you think back, you know, how long ago were the Egyptians to us? We're here in 2000 AD or 2019. The Egyptians that we're talking about, you know, 2500 to 3000 BC, Supposedly, that's 5,000 yeah. years ago, right? right. Or, and, and some of that stuff may be much older as for John sure. Anthony West and others. The Sphinx, John, John. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But let's say, let's say, you know, the dynastic Egypt, 3000 BC and, and forward. So 5,000 years ago. Well, how old was Gobekli Tepe in 3000 BC? If it was buried that. by 8,000. Yeah. If it was buried by 8,000. It's as old to them as Egypt is to us. Right. Right. I mean, well, so, and what are your thoughts on these different cataclysms that could have wiped out so many? I mean, there could be more evidence of it, but, you know, we don't quite get it. But, I mean, if we, like the Ice Ages... Um, you know, you had a couple of miles of ice on whatever civilization had over a couple thousand years, hundred thousand years. That's going to grind down whatever was there, or even the cataclysms that destroyed everything. What are your thoughts on? Right. I mean, it just there could be absolutely so many different civilizations that have come and gone, but through cataclysms and erosion and hundreds of thousands of years, we just don't have any evidence for it as much as we would like. Yeah. Really important. But we uh, find these the structures story. that lend itself to. Man, this is old. How did this? Where did this come from? And then, like, like Graham Hancock says, we're always shit's always getting older, man. And so it's like, where did this come from? Wow, where did this come from? Right. So I think cataclysms is a very important part of the story. I mean, you can look around the earth and see that we've had cataclysms. And there, you know, Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson, who I know you've had Randall on your show, love that guy, I, dude. Jeez. And they've talked about catastrophism. Uh, as opposed to uniformitarianism, and and that actually gets into going back to taking the Bible literally. I mean, we've we've covered a, already a lot of ground, and I'm arguing that the Bible is based on celestial metaphor. And at some point in ancient history, the Bible was was it was all these ancient stories were decided. No, this has to be taken literally. And then people who were taking it literally went and imposed their will on a whole lot of other people. And there was a reaction against that because for centuries it was taught, well, the you have to take the Bible literally or else we will, you know, put you to death or, sure. or you know, so you have to take the, the flood story 
literally, and it had to have been, you know, in the year that we said it was. Yeah. And then there was a big reaction against that in the late 17, beginning in the late 1700s, early 1800s of, of geologists who said, we need to come up with a theory. Well, it's not that they wanted to come up with a theory to defeat the Bible, but they were saying, look, there's a lot of stuff on earth that's much older than what the biblical literalists will allow us to say. So they right. became almost fanatical anti-catastrophists. So they didn't want to even admit that that catastrophe could have played a huge role. And then they wanted to say, well, everything that you see, the Grand Canyon was formed yeah. by basically uniformitarian trickle of water just acting over enormous periods of time. Well, the Grand Canyon was not a trickle of water. It was some kind of a gusher. Well, that, exactly. That's why I love Randall Carlson's work so much because him and Graham, especially Randall, has gone so deep into the Younger Dryas area that that scab exactly. lands up in the northwest, where it's like you you cannot dispute some of the geological the erratics, the erratics, that erratics from basically Canada and in north upper North America winding up in wherever you know way way south Idaho or whatever the hell because. They were they were carried by this huge huge flush of water, and he you know through geological evidence has found that you know these these carvings throughout the freaking terrain were not done over the course of thousands of years. It was almost overnight, and this resistance, almost like Egyptology and Zahi Awas, were totally mind fucked when when Baval and John Anthony West came in with their evidence on on the Sphinx. Like the conventional science is so resistant to this new information. It's so frustrating, man. And a lot of the new information, I think, is, you know, based on human control. You know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the religious, um, you know, writings and things like that, obviously. And and history, obviously, is intended to to control the masses. Yeah. And that's a huge part of the story, too. So, I mean, we're going we're we're going at 90 miles an hour and you're and it's a wild ride and your listeners are are used to that pace. But um, just to. Dial it in, boys. Dial it in. Hit the brake pedal. Hit the brake. Let me just at least – I'll shift down to a lower gear. I don't necessarily have to hit the brakes. But um, so – yeah, so it was actually John Anthony West and Robert Schock that were – Schock, you're right. I'm sorry, not Paul. But no, that's all right. Um, But but it's really important, the catastrophe um, evidence, and Robert Schock has a different – take on the catastrophe than Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson yep. are more on the yep. comet. Robert Schock is more on the solar um, coronal mass ejections, which can be extremely devastating and drive people to have to actually live underground. But whatever, and it could have been a combination, I don't know, but exactly. whatever whatever wiped out this. So, so just to dial back to Gobekli Tepe, and the pillars of Gobekli Tepe, and I'm not the first one to notice this, have First of all, very smooth edges, very um, large stones. It's uh, very high relief, uh, highly artistic carvings on the outside of them that are that show. It's like if you're a hunter-gatherer society and you're moving from place to place and hunting, you don't necessarily have time to develop skills, extraneous skills of gigantic stone carving in precision edges and you're trying um, to survive you know it's it's like yeah i'd love to be an artist but right now i gotta go hunt this deer right now or i'm gonna starve so um it looks like this was a society that had full-time artists yeah full-time artists and full-time stone workers and and that kind of division of labor usually requires more 
um, diversification of labor and, and economics, right? But um, but but whatever the story of Gobekli Tepe is, those carvings, and I'm not the first to notice this, have parallels to constellations. There's a scorpion right below a, a winged bird, which looks like it could have the same angle of the wings as the bow in Sagittarius, which is right next to Scorpio. And the scorpion is unmistakably a scorpion. Okay, so here's kind of the crux of my thing. So they maybe they did have an understanding of celestial movements from ancient, ancient, ancient stuff. Where did they get the tech at that point in time to do a Gobekli Tepe, to create a Gobekli Tepe? I mean, it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. They can still understand the stars, but it's like, where did they get that tech from? Right. And so, you know, I know I'm not discounting uh, the alien things. Or I know you guys said we said something about aliens, but it's like, you know, something was there. Right. Am I right. crazy? So what, I, what I think is that there was there was a very advanced human civilization and it doesn't necessarily need to have been advanced, quote unquote, in the same technology types that we have today. Uh, but it was certainly spiritually sophisticated, I would argue, because whoever yeah. came up with these myths these myths are very profound, and they have what I'd really like to get into, especially, you know, we have here this tremendous resource of someone who has uh, reached the highest pinnacles of sport um, and been a UFC, you know, champion. So you, uh, you don't get to, not, you know, not everybody can do that, but you don't get to that level without being able to control certain types of things in your mind and have certain kinds of discipline. And I think that a lot of these myths have to do with overcoming, um, you know, reintegrating with your authentic self and things like that, overcoming anxiety. I mean, I'm sure that if you're going to go get into a ring with somebody, you maybe have a twinge of anxiety once in a while, you know, maybe Pat didn't, but I would if I was jumping into an MMA ring. And well, I, I think, think they all did, but more than anything else, the the intelligence of, you know, some of the stonework that looks like it's literally melted together in perfect mm -hmm. geometrical shapes. Yes. Uh, we can't match it. We can't match the pyramids. We can't match any of this stuff. We can't even come close to medieval castles. We can't, we, hmm. we can't remotely build any of it. And the the formulas for doing this stuff and how these stones were cut and how they were put together and how these massive stones were lifted is beyond us. We don't have cranes big enough to lift these stones and put them in place. I, I'm telling you, man, it's, it's, you know, when, when we had Billy on, uh, you know, he, he talked about, you know, vibration sound using sound source of, of sound being the, the source of moving these stones. And I said, Really, that potentially is the, because now we're experimenting with sound. We're moving objects with sound. That's potentially the only way these things got moved um, in, in at least our human uh, comprehension. Right. Yep, and that's exactly right. And actually some of the stones, and so Graham Hancock's latest book, America Before, posits that that ancient civilization might have actually been in the Americas. And some of the stonework in... Puma Punku, which is in South America, and this, those are some of those giant H-shaped, and they're all identical, and they're precision, and right. they they fit together, and it's amazing, and they look like they had some kind of uh, maybe metal staple or place for 
some kind of stapling to go between these giant blocks of stone, but they're all blasted all over the place like they were hit by a, you know, some kind of a gigantic earthquake or explosion. So I think to actually, we were trying to answer the question of, is a cataclysm an important part of this story? I think it is because I think that it may have predated Gobekli Tepe by some period of time when this culture was flourishing and there may have been some kind of tremendous catastrophe that caused that civilization to either be destroyed or um, a few or survivors did, did to go underground. Gobekli Tepe know it was coming and Possibly. bury it. And preserve. bury all their stuff, absolutely. And so or was then, it buried by the sediment from the flood? Well, and and so, and we can talk about the flood. I mean, my first book is actually about evidence for a worldwide flood catastrophe. And it's that, and, and I wrote that book actually while I was still taking the Bible literally. And there's a fascinating theory by a geologist named Dr. Walt Brown, and he's also a West Point graduate like myself, and I uh, really enjoy his... Uh, Dumb, he's only graduated from there, right? Say again? <laughs> you graduated from West Point, dude? Yeah, you didn't get that on the background check there, Jeffrey? No, I'm just kidding, goodness. man. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Yeah, a uh, long, He's long like, time ago. But but anyway. Um, and the, the look, the the school of, at West Point was way easier when David graduated. <laughs> I, just right, about, David? I just about blew my beer into the microphone <laughs> just there as I was taking a sip when you said that. Um, <laughs> let's not go down that road right this second. That's but, quite um, <laughs> but uh yeah, so so interesting. But um but this sophisticated culture, it's possible that they had to go underground and that they disseminated the myths or the system. Or it's also possible that the survivors ending up on all these or various eventually making their way to all these different parts of the world retained a memory of this ancient system and then it took on different costumes or different yes. flavors in Australia as right. it would take on a different costume or a flavor in Australia as it would in Scandinavia or as right. it would in South America or something. What so what, said, is your, what is what is your I'm sorry, go Jeff. Ahead, uh, go ahead, buddy. What is what is your knowledge on the Katora tomb in Japan? Ooh, uh, you got me there, Pat. Well, tell me about it. Well, it's it's an ancient. They say that it is the oldest. Graham explored it. It's it's the oldest of tombs in terms of um, having the constellations, the accurate constellations, carved in the ceiling of the tomb in Japan. <laughs> so that's. That's you know something that that I, I had read some time ago, and you know, and all the way back to I think it's seventeen thousand years ago in the West. There's basic diagrams and carvings, cave carvings of Pleiades and stuff stuff like that. You know, but but not near as defined and, and showing the you know the the procession of the stars and and the constellations movement and everything else. But um, so but but. The oldest accurate one um, is from Japan, from a from a uh, a tomb. Yeah, and that's fascinating. K K I T O R A, the the Katora tomb, um, in God, I'm trying to remember. Um, it's a tomb in uh, Akira, Japan, is where it is. Yeah, that's very cool. I have no idea uh, how uh, I remembered uh, that. 
That's great. And I'll check it out. And I'll tell you that, you know, for sure around the world, the archaeological evidence is that the stars were part of the system. I mean, the system that's in the myths is also reflected in the architecture and is reflected in the artwork, yes. as, uh, as we alluded to. And, and as you mentioned, I think, Pat, you were just saying the caves, even the Lascaux caves, you know, these famous caves in France, which have tremendous acoustic qualities and they have this beautiful artistic work and it's you know usually attributed to well this was cavemen or right. you know cave women um those and i wasn't the first one to to argue this either but i've looked at some of those paintings and some of the arguments of people who've said look this lines right up with the constellation leo look at the tail of this rhinoceros is really actually the same stars that we would call the head of leo and right in screen yeah. We've got Gemini right in the right place, which is right basically in front of Leo, and the Pleiades are there as well. Extremely important constellation. So, or not constellation, star cluster. But, um, but so, so what I would say is that, uh, you know, although I'm not, a, I'm not able to talk to the Katora tomb. I'm sorry. I'll check it out, and maybe you'll see a blog post about it eventually. No, but, uh, Jer- but, uh, uh, awesome. Graham Hancock. Oh, I'd, I'd yeah. love to it. But, well, I was going to say the the myths of Japan I have analyzed, and and they're in this most recent book too. So I do the myths of ancient China and Japan, and uh, and different chapter, two different chapters on China and a different chapter on Japan, and there are myths that are preserved in a text called the Kojiki of ancient Japan. And, um, and, somebody's and those, home. And, yeah. <laughs> you got that. That's as one teenager there. Um, yeah. So the Kojiki <laughs> of ancient Japan can all be shown to be based on the constellations, or I would argue are, are overwhelmingly, uh, the evidence is overwhelming, extremely compelling. I would say at least, or for sure, I would argue it's conclusive our, that, our boy, that they're based on the same thing. Our boy, uh, our Graham Hancock, he's there's footage of him uh, doing some uh, scuba diving off the coast of Japan with some megalith- underground megalithic structures that were actually obviously above ground. Um, going back to something yeah, Pat just said, underwater. yeah, going back to something Pat just said, and just kind of getting this understanding of how these ancient peoples understand it. Obviously, you have to be familiar with Gerald Clark as well as Zacharias Sitchin, and some of these Sumerian cuneiforms were seeing the sun as well as all these different planetary bodies that we now know as our solar system around it, which they had no fucking clue what the solar system looked like back in the day, but clearly they had an ancient understanding of it. So, I mean, again, that just kind of lends itself to something was going on. There was some kind of tech, something that they knew about back in the day. And, you know, between your work and like these other works about I'm hearing, it's like it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive, as we say. We don't have to agree on everything. But I think in this middle ground, there is some truth, obviously. And again, I hate to be redundant. Go to go to my man's page here, David and David Matheson, and find out visually how these things link together, because us just explaining it verbally doesn't really make sense. But I think there's more to these myths than just this, the constellation. But I think they were using the constellations almost like I said earlier in you know da vinci's work or these artists work they're 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 secrets within the art that's ancient that goes back a long ways and they're trying to tell us something and as much as we like to foo-foo astrology and astronomy or whatever maybe there's more juice in the constellation and in celestial processions than we even begin to realize yeah and if you want why don't we take a look at a few examples and we can talk about you know we can describe some of the connections between a few myths and stars. If you want to go to a biblical, great, yeah. biblical story or a, uh, 
specific body of myth? Well, or... let me let me throw out a biblical story of uh, was it Jacob that had the wrestling match with God? Right? Yeah, good one. Um, you know, in this this story, you know, people think um, you know there's a there's a place called Pinius, but Pinius doesn't exist. Pinius actually represents the pineal gland, which is the third eye, right? The all-seeing eye, the connection to God, our our connection to God that's supposedly being um, calcified by by the use of fluoride and everything else. Um, and I think I, I've talked about this before on, on one other show, I think. But, you know, when it talks about, you know, God breaking Jacob's leg and, you know, this epic battle that he had with God and everything else, uh, Pinius didn't exist. It's the pineal gland. It is, it is the, you know, the, that sort of thing that, that, you know, are these stories that everybody takes literally that, oh my God, you know, Jacob had a wrestling match with God and everything else. No, it, that's not, these people were very highly educated that wrote a lot of this stuff and you're too dumb to, well, decipher it. Yeah, so it's it's actually Peniel is is the um, it's, it's not Penius with an S. It's actually Peniel. Uh, if you check, if you go back. Well, the you, Peniel gland is. Yeah, but but it? actually in the Bible itself too. In the, is in it Peniel? Yeah, um, and and be in 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 the, but that's okay. The um, the 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 word L means God, um, so we have Beth L which is also involved in that same story, which means the house of God. And that's right. where Jacob has the vision of Jacob's ladder or the, the staircase that goes the stairway to heaven, that when he rests his head upon a rock after that um, same, same incident and he sees, the, uh, he sees the vision of the angels ascending and descending on this ladder. Um, or it might not have been the exact same incident, but it's in the same book of Genesis. So, and I talk about this in Star Myths of the Bible, which I don't have within easy reach, but let me tell you what I think is going on celestially. So Peniel, and we can get back to the pineal gland, um, whether it also connects to the pineal gland, I certainly don't deny that possibility, but it's also, this story can be found in the sky. So what happens is Jacob is crossing the river at the ford called Jabbok, J-A-B-B-O-K. If I'm, I'm not referencing the scriptural text right now. I'm just talking out of my memory. But sure. uh, and, and he a Sierra Nevada, and a Sierra Nevada, which I hope doesn't have any fluoride in it, right? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> otherwise, my memory will be even more twisted. But, good, um, but so he encounters what's actually described as an angel or the angel of the Lord. And then later it is kind of becomes clear that he's wrestling with the Lord. And that's why he calls the place Penny L because this is where I wrestled with the Lord L or God L. Um, you know, many names in the ancient scriptures have L in them, like Beth L the house of God or which Bethlehem is also related to that. Um, and L that that war, that sound syllable L is also found in the Greek uh, sun. There's a titan of the sun who becomes a sun god, Helios. Oh. Helios. And when we say hello to one another, we're actually saying a word that's derived from 
Helios, the sun god, and and so Penny L, or all these words that have L in the end of them are referring to a name of of God that is related to the sun god in Greek myths. But he wrestles with an angel. There's actually a constellation. Oh, and then the angel. So there's a wrestling match. There's lots of wrestling matches in 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 the, the ancient first myths. first WWE. The I love it. Yeah. There is a lot of wrestling, and I actually believe this has to do with reconnecting with our higher self because I believe we get divided from our authentic self in this world. Like we're divided from ourselves, and we have to reintegrate with who we are. And so after Gilgamesh and Enkidu have this big wrestling match, then they become fast friends, and they become almost like twins. You can hardly tell them apart. It's the same thing. This wrestling goes on in many, many myths, and it's usually a mortal and an immortal or a divine and someone who's human. And so in this case, it's Jacob and this angel of the Lord. And the angel finally says, well, I can't actually defeat this guy, but I'm going to touch the hollow of his hip or the hollow of his thigh is what it says. And it shrunk the tendon. It says something like his tendon shrunk up. And then from ever after that, he kind of had a limp because of this wrestling match with God at Peniel, at this ford. Well, there's a constellation in the heavens, it's actually close to the Pleiades, called Perseus. And Perseus, if you look at the constellation, actually has the feet look like they're twisted. And in fact, one leg is much shorter than the other leg. And Perseus, the head of the constellation, is in the Milky Way. It's not the brightest part of the Milky Way. It's the other side of the Milky Way from the brightest part. The brightest part is really in between Scorpio and Sagittarius. So on the other side of the sky, Perseus has his head in the Milky Way. So he's crossing the ford. And right next to Perseus is this angelic figure called Andromeda. And Andromeda is a beautiful maiden in the Greek myth of Perseus and Andromeda. So these same constellations, let me just give a parenthetical, will play different characters. It's just like... The metaphor I use is like when you see an actor and he or she is playing in a movie and yes. you go, wait a minute, I know her, but oh man, she looks so different. Or he he sounds, he's using a totally different accent. You know, like Johnny Depp will look so different from one movie right, to another. Right. Uh, eventually you recognize, wait a minute, that's Johnny Depp. I didn't even recognize him. Well, that's what these constellations will do. They'll, Perseus plays the hero Perseus in a Greek myth, but Perseus plays many, many figures who have a twisted foot or a uh, walk with a limp like there's a there's a god named Hephaestus or Hephaestus who's Vulcan Hephaestus the, yeah yeah he's he's lame in both feet because one of his parents either Zeus or Hera throws him down from Olympus because they get angry with him what, and ever after that he has to ride on a donkey how does that coincide with what I was saying kind of earlier these ancient ancient Enlil and Inkies wound up manifesting them their, their very same self and they were playing different roles throughout different aspects of society whether or civilization whether it's Greek or or Egyptian you know it's yeah no I think it's a great insight Jeffrey so the ancients actually had no problem saying like when the Romans were fighting like if you, you guys probably seen Gladiator, right? Of a million times. Of course. Yeah. Are you not entertained? Right, exactly. How are you not entertained? So um, in that is a very important figure. Marcus Aurelius yeah. is uh, played by, um, uh, who is it? He's in the Dirty Dozen. Um, Great he's actor. The father. 
He's the father of uh, <laughs> another great actor. Now I can't remember. Thank I know, you. off the top. Donald Sutherland. Thank no, you. it's not Donald Sutherland. No. Isn't it It's not? all right. It it's, not? it's not, but that's all right. Go ahead. Kiefer Sutherland. He's Keith, isn't he Kiefer Sutherland's father? He I'm not is, talking but that, about, that's not I'm who played Marcus Aurelius. That's not who played Marcus really? Aurelius in, in God. The yeah. emperor who gets killed by his son Commodus. I understand. It was not okay, Donald Sutherland. All right. Well, my memory is faulty. but um, So is mine. That's why I can't pull his <laughs> but, name up, but I know it's not Donald Sutherland. Marcus Aurelius was a, obviously a real emperor. Commodus was also a real emperor, and that's a very critical juncture in in history. I would argue for this whole story of how the myths got squelched. But maybe we his can book come back Meditations is absolutely yes. fantastic. Russell exactly. Crow, thank you. Who was it? Russell, Russell Crow wasn't Marcus Aurelius. No, he, he was fucking yeah, dude. He was the Spaniard. <laughs> he was Maximus. He was Maximus. Oh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. No, that's, that's Commodus. Commodus. <laughs> All right. Well, coming off on a. We're going off on a wild goose chase, though. Just look up uh, Marcus Aurelius, though, Pat. It's see the, who, who played him. Yeah. I thought it was Donald Sutherland, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Um, but Marcus Aurelius actually did fight against, you know, the, he was off fighting battles against the Germanic tribes in the north. And the Romans, who were worshiping Jupiter, who corresponds to Zeus, and yeah. Mars, who corresponds to Ares in the Greek myths, had no problem saying, oh, these Germanic uh, tribes worship a god that they call Tu or Tyr, and that corresponds to our god Mars, or they have a god who's like our god Hercules. They had no problem seeing that correspondence. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's a reincarnation. I think we're talking about the same entities or the same um, powers the same invisible realm. So I believe that mm. these myths are with you. almost like invisible. a, a Carl Jungian collective unconscious. Yeah, if you Richard will. Harris. Oh, Ooh. Richard Harris. Wow. There you played go. Marcus Aurelius. Wow. So Richard Harris played Marcus Aurelius. Good, good call, Pat. And he played uh, Camelot. He played King Arthur oh, fuck in, yeah. the, in the, in the 60s, the 1960s. Sorry to throw the curveball at you, but anyway, continue. There was yeah. once a dream oh. called Rome. You could only whisper <laughs> in it. Okay. Yeah, so so anyway, what I was going to say is that all the all around the world, these same um, gods and goddesses show up with the very same characteristics because I believe what these ancient myths are doing are talking about an invisible realm. They're trying to teach us something about something that we can't see and they're using a metaphor and i've and i've explained as, as, this. as opposed to something that existed way before that like a global atlantean civilization that they all knew huge cataclysms happened it was hidden for several years but it had to be disseminated it was like you said almost not being a christian it was illegal to disseminate this information about this, this ancient tech so they had to do it through the paintings through the geometry of of architecture etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah, well, so I, I use the metaphor of uh, Mr. Miyagi trying to teach Daniel-san. I like that. I like that. Karate. I heard that in that video. I really Go ahead. Explain that, please. And it's because, see, Daniel-san, Mr. Miyagi said, I'm going to have you wax all these cars. And you have to do it just this right way. Wax on, wax off. Then I'm going to have you paint the fence. Then I'm going to have you sand the floor and all these different things. And, and Daniel-san's like, wait a minute, man. I, <laughs> I'm getting beaten up at school. I need to learn karate. <laughs> And, and Mr. Miyagi was, and we could say, well, what was Mr. Miyagi trying to hide karate from Daniel-san by teaching him wax the car? By using this, this uh, unusual system and not telling him, I, I need you to wax the car exactly this way. 
And later, Daniel-san learns what it's all about. That's the method. That's what, that's esoteric. It means you learn, you learn the wax on, wax off. Then suddenly you find out, oh, that's what it means. And I believe it's but for it, empowering, empowering But it, it awakens something, not even just that, but the larger awakening of, of human consciousness is they're awakening something that's already there. It's not something like that's why he had to use it, like you said, wax on, wax off. Because you said if you did like, you know, crescent yep. punch, roundhouse kick, it would just whatever. But when you do it in such a benign way and then when you need it, it's almost that muscle reflex. It taps in to that almost unconscious that, you know, whatever you want to call it, the Akashic Records, whatever, whatever. It's already there. It just needs to be awakened. Well, and it had and to why was it already there? That's almost an epigenetic DNA remembers going back. You know what I mean? What I was also going to say is it was very important to bypass Daniel-san's doubting mind, right? Daniel-san was, why was he getting picked on in school? He already had a lot of self-doubt. He was obviously from a, he, he, he had to move to California from New Jersey. He was not happy. He's living in a broken family. Um, he doesn't have a dad and he has a, it was a broken family. Nobody smoking crack and shit. It was a single mom. You know what I mean? She, okay. was, she was busting right. her ass. Well, what I'm saying is Daniel, <laughs> Daniel-san had issues of his own, right? I mean, we can't deny that. Did, yeah, as did Daniel Johnny and his not, crew who beat him up. As did, okay, I, I'll grant you all that. But, but Daniel-san had doubts, and Mr. Miyagi saw, I can't just tell him, here's how you're going to stop Johnny's kick. Because Daniel-san will say, ah, come on, really, would that really work? He's going to say, well, what if Daniel, what if Johnny kicks me this way? What if he does this? Instead, Mr. Miyagi bypassed that doubting part of, of Daniel's mind and went to the deeper understanding and got and, and got past that, the doubting part of Daniel's mind. And I think that's what these myths are showing over and over with a character like Doubting Thomas being reconciled with Jesus in the story of that's. It's not two people. It's one person becoming more integrated with who they are. So an interesting question, I think, for you, David, is, you know, do you believe Jesus was someone who walked the earth and did the ancient schools of mysteries and and, and performed miracles or whatever they were, the feats of magic? Do you believe he was uh, an actual? Because there's so many works of literature that are non-religious that talk about Jesus that it's almost impossible to claim that he never walked the earth, right? <laughs> well, I used to believe that uh, he was a literal figure, but no, I don't. No, interesting. No. That's all right. So, 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 tell us, tell us why that is. Yeah, well, because all those stories are based on the stars, and Jesus is just like the Buddha, is based on a very specific um, constellation. So, the actually the birth of the Buddha. The birth story of the Buddha, and if you look up on Wikipedia or if, if you go to college texts that talk about Buddha, uh, Siddhartha, who became the Buddha, right. they'll say, well, we believe he lived around 500 B.C. Well, the birth of the Buddha happened when, according to the birth story, his mother had this dream. She saw an elephant in her dream. The elephant went into her side. She woke up the next morning and she said to her husband, um, I'm pregnant. And he said, what? <laughs> you what? <laughs> and um, it, was a, it was an immaculate conception. 
the mother's name was Maya in the story. She, uh, she had a vision. She became pregnant with the baby. And when the baby was born, an old sage um, came to the, to the king and queen. It was Queen Maya and her husband, um, I forget his name, the king. And he said, and the sage said, I've, I've, I've been waiting for the birth of this. This one is going to be, you know, I saw these celestial wheels moving in the heavens. They were turned by invisible hands and there were these uh, whisks in the air that were turning the, the wheel. Well, in the birth of the Christ, you have a very similar pattern. Uh, obviously, you have an immaculate conception, but you also have a um, an old, aged, uh, holy man named Simeon who comes, and this is in, I believe it's in Luke chapter 2, two or something, but I'm talking off the top of my head, so I don't know exactly. But he says, this one will be uh, for the rising and falling of many in Israel, which is the turning of the wheel. Um, it's the the pattern. I've written a whole blog post about it. And there's even also that whole biography, like you're saying, like that biography of the, that big, uh, that immaculate conception, that's been Addis, that's been Mithra, that's been Isis, that's been the same very similar biography of, of, a, of a Messiah that is to come, that dies, and then three days later is arisen. I mean, there, that, that biography of, quote-unquote, Jesus Christ is is festooned throughout history. And I, I still believe the cat existed, quite frankly. I think he was the first hit of the deep state, you know, cause, because he did have that understanding of, of secret, ecoteric, esoteric kind of understanding of the world, the things we're talking about, this ancient tech, et cetera, et cetera. Sorry, but that's a... Yeah, no, I mean, and, and um, you know, I, I don't want to take away from people who believe... Uh, you know, very deeply or have their identity very closely wrapped up in taking it literally if it works for you, as long as you don't use those literalistic beliefs, where I think it goes too far is where you use them to justify the oppression of other people, oh, which for, is which is exactly how it's been used for many, you know, we can see the, you know, co but as, as, as you even said yourself, there there is this note, this understanding came from somewhere. Like when, again, oh, when you, yeah, when you yeah, look at your visual, absolutely. yeah. So it's like, how how is it? I'm not it, reconcile, it's, if you will, this this what you've admitted an understanding of this ancient kind of tech. There was some ancient civilization. Something was going on, and you know this this layout of kind of archaeological history, if you will, with ha which has such a celestial tie to it. You know, from Gobekli yeah. Tepe to the to the pyramids to man. I mean, so many different megalithic structures that at certain celestial times the the sun shines through the hole they built you know what i mean i, I can't think of the specific spots but they had it as you, we've agreed there's been an ancient understanding of oh, things. Yeah. so how is it you know yeah absolutely jesus I mean, wasn't just an extension are... of that he supposedly worked with the vedas he supposedly worked with the tibetans and mm -hmm. understanding eastern eastern stuff yeah so it's a great question so uh, i believe that the bible is true I just don't believe that it has to be literal to be true. I believe that the reason I, I, I took the Bible literally for decades and I found, you know, I had my identity very much tied up in taking it literally. Uh, I, then I went through this big transition where I started to see the connections to the stars and I started to find more and more and more of them. And I said, you know what, I no longer can believe that this is literal, but it still doesn't mean just because you're not taking something literally doesn't mean that it 
is not full of truth and right. you know can't, positive can't throw message. the baby out with the bathwater, right? Right. And so, you know, and and there's actually you know, as you said, there are there are echoes of the Christ story in the Osiris story. There are there's a writer in the late 1800s named Gerald Massey who who said uh, you know, this this New Testament is actually should really be called the even older Testament. And it's possible <laughs> that Paul was revealing something that he wasn't supposed to reveal. There are passages where he says, this is the secret that's been kept secret, you know, and that's why people were after him because he was revealing an ancient esoteric. Well, I mean, you've got so many different hands, man. Melchizedek, the high priest, the Zoroaster guy, like they were doing these same miracles working from the same kind of playbook of these <laughs> ancient cats, man. Well, and so I would argue that Melchizedek and Jesus are the, are, are almost, so Jesus is almost always, not always, but very often associated, I would argue, with the constellation Ophiuchus. And Ophiuchus is not a super well-known constellation. It's a but common Ophiuchus, one, though, from reading some Oh, it's an important one. Yeah. It's a super important one. It's super important mythologically. The Buddha is also associated with Ophiuchus. King Solomon, well, I would argue, is associated I, with Ophiuchus. I I, I'm, I'm grasping all of this, and I've, I've grasped it for a while, but what was the purpose of educating or fooling whatever um, fellow citizens or descendants with stories and and these these works tying uh, characters to the constellations great question great question pat so first of all i would say you know going back to my mr miyagi story Mr. Miyagi wasn't trying to fool Danielson. He knew Danielson needed some help. He knew, right. I mean, he he saw these four guys beating up on Danielson and he said, "Okay, I'm going to teach you karate now." So, but he had to do it through esoteric or me metaphor right. for for in order to teach him the right, right way. Like Mor so Morpheus, I believe Morpheus that these, Neo, man. right. So I believe that these ancient myths were for our edification, not for keeping us, uh, fooling us or keeping us in ignorance. We had these ancient um, mystery schools like the El Eleusinian mysteries. But right. it's possible, it is possible that after the cataclysm, nobody quite knew what the stories were really all about. And so there was a the lot of teachings. And it, it's it's, it's possible that only it's yeah, it's possible that only that advanced ancient civilization, whatever it was, that was before Gobekli Tepe knew, and and after the, the real connection was, and how it was how it was relayed. And, and so then it got turned into a kind of mistaken. Well, we know this is important. We got to keep it really, really sacred. But it may have been, just, or or was it just simply hijacked by those remaining humans? Who said we need to butcher these people and turn it into the story to control everyone else? Yeah. So you know, I like the way. I mean, I like the way you think. Like, I like the way your mind is working because well, that's ultimately so, what it was. Through, that, through, through the, the priest that knows where the gold is. I'm the one that knows where the gold is, David. <laughs> What's I'm saying through, ahead, through these, these people, and we're going to butcher them through these priesthoods, through the Catholic Church, and not denoting by the, but you know, the Holy Roman Empire back in the day. Through, I mean, that's how they controlled the world. Isabella of Spain. That's how we get. You know the conquering of the Aztecs, et cetera, et cetera. So 
once they got this information and they were the keepers of the cheese and through the priesthood and through the universities and the secret societies, they kept it tight. And then we ultimately became like Morpheus has held us up the batteries, just the energy for the machine. They were able to just run game, dude, and just keep it I hidden, just, which it I, still is. But my question is, and, and this will throw you for a loop, I'm sure, David, which constellation represents the 8,000 gay pedophile priests in the Catholic Church? <laughs> I don't think there's a constellation for that one, Pat. But so let's get into. So does he have anything to do with a hangman's noose? Uh, well, so <laughs> let me back up and go to your earlier point. Let me back up and go to your earlier point. Welcome about, to the conspiracy farm, my friend. Welcome to Militich world. Hey, listen, listen. When I first um, when I first met Greg Carlwood, I was love at that a, dude. I was at a secret space program um, convention in uh, San Mateo. I'm from San Mateo, California, originally. That's in the Bay Area. And this was back in 2014. I'd just written a book called The Undying Stars. And I was sitting there with my table full of books. It was my second book. And it's still actually one of my most popular books, The Undying Stars. And that book actually talks about this was the first one. Like I mentioned, my first book, I was taking the Bible literally, but I was still looking at the connections between the myths and the stars and also the evidence for a global cataclysm, a global flood. Between my first book and my second book, I had to go through a lot of soul searching because I had started to see all these constellations. I was fine seeing the constellations connected to the Greek myths or the Norse myths. I was not so fine seeing that Samson might be based on constellations and that the book of revelation is all based on constellations and and then going through the book of genesis and all the way through so uh when i wrote the undying stars i wrote it i broke it into three parts it's kind of got three sections first is what is this ancient system the second is what could it be talking about uh and what could it mean and the third is how was it lost and i believe it i believe so as i said earlier it could have been that after the cataclysm, nobody knew what all this stuff meant. But I believe there's enough evidence around the world. You know, you have the Native Americans who have their traditions that, and, and shamanic traditions that equipped them very well and, and taught them a very profound view of the universe that I believe matches up with some of the teachings that you find in the Buddhist um, texts or the shamanic culture, or the, Taoist, sure. the Taoist texts, or in the, you know, the ancient culture of India, all these ancient traditions and disciplines and wisdom. And then you have a literalist reinterpretations of ancient scriptures that happened in the, during the Roman empire, where all of a sudden you have one group stamping out the other groups, like the Gnostic texts had to be buried at Nag Hammadi. I think Jeffrey, you might have mentioned Nag Hammadi. Nag Hammadi scriptures, absolutely. Right. So, so what was going on there? That was, there was an actual edict. I talk about this in The Undying Stars, where these are the books that can be allowed into the Bible, and if you're caught with any of the others, it's going to go very badly for you. It might end up with your death. So somebody said, well, these texts are so precious. I don't want to burn them, but I can't keep them on me, or I'm in big trouble. So he buried them, or she, or whoever, buried them in this big jar that was later found. Um you know, in the 20th century. So there was a time of stamping out, and that was the same time that, and, it, and, and I brought up Marcus Aurelius also for a reason, and Commodus, I talk about this in The Undying Stars, but 
I believe there was a, you know, how did the Roman Empire, look, the Roman Empire, was it Christian in the beginning when it had all those legions running around and conquering the world? It was not. They had, right. you know, the, the statue of Jupiter, they had this, the temple of Jupiter, the temple of Mars, the temple of Athena, uh, the temple of, of Venus. And they had the army. They had the swords. They, how did it become Christian? And the, the the stamping out, man. Just to go back to, it just popped in my brain of one of the videos I saw you had had on of Saint Patrick, and just you talk about stamping out. When again, we, this almost goes back to the whole notion of Inlil versus Inky, you know, the reptile versus um, the serpent versus the eagle, et cetera. Saint Patrick, Saint Patrick went into basically Ireland, et cetera, and removed all the snakes, which of course there aren't snakes there anywhere indigenously, but it was more the druids. The, the druids were represented by the serpent. But this is this was the kind of that flipping of the script, you know, uh, inversion of reality where St. Patrick went in and the lore is he rid the world of the serpents, et cetera, et cetera. But it was the Druids. It was this ancient understanding that he was really getting rid of through the Catholic Church. Right. And I would argue that that story also follows a very <laughs> it's all of the universal stars. pattern that's connected to the stars because we have gods or heroes who fight a serpent figure. In fact, Thor fights the Midgard serpent. Apollo slays a great dragon called Python uh, to create the temple at Delphi or to take over the temple at Delphi. Right. Um, you know, Hercules or Heracles slays a hydra, a multi-headed. And these are all uh, I can show to be based on specific constellations in the, in the Patrick story as well. But you're right. The Druids were teaching. So all the I, I would argue that the ancient scriptures, Bible included, are teaching actually the same thing. The, the same thing the Druids were teaching, look, we're connected to nature, we're connected to the universe, and we're also connected to the invisible world in a way that is difficult to explain. But people get, you know, premonitions or um, knowledge about a loved one that just cannot be explained by science, where they wake up at three in the morning and, and they know something. Some and people it, are more connected than, than others. And some people are more sensitive to it or more. But we, I think we all, you know, we all realize there's something more than just our physical, I think. But anyway, the um, the so I think that the 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 ancient wisdom around the world is actually teaching very much the same principles. But then and the and I believe the Bible is, too. I believe these stories about these figures in the Bible are actually to teach us the same thing about connecting with others, connecting with the universe, connecting with the invisible world, connecting with your higher self. And yes, there are there, you know, uh, uh, there's a writer I like a lot called Alvin Boyd Kuhn. He died in uh, 1963. Same year Kennedy was assassinated. If you want to go down that road, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Jeff, will go down that road. It's all, it's Ooh, all who's connected. JFK? But, who's, who's that? Yeah. It's all connected. It's all connected. So, um, so he says, look, there, the, the ancients who worshipped all these different gods did not deny that there was a creator god, but they, but they were teaching you to, to get in touch with the god that stood within reach, not the god that you can't reach. So they're talking about the god that is closer than a brother, as one of the Bible passages in Proverbs says, there is one that sticketh closer than a brother. There is, you have access to uh, a higher self that wants to get in touch with you or that you need to get back in touch with. I, I think this is found throughout the myth. So, hmm. and then I think, uh, so I think that it was a, um, 
a stamping out of that knowledge. So, so when the literalists took over the Roman Empire, and we could have a whole show about how that happened, then the oracle at Delphi, which had been in operation for hundreds, if not thousands of years, like at least 800 years, was shut down by the emperor Theodosius, who came after Constantine, a few generations after Constantine. The Eleusinian Mysteries, which again had been going for hundreds of years and accepted all people. Anyone could go to the Eleusinian Mysteries. It didn't matter if you were free or slave. It didn't matter if you were man or woman. It didn't matter if you were Greek or what the Greeks called everyone else barbarians. If you weren't Greek, you were barbarian. You could go to the Eleusinian Mysteries. They were open to everybody. The Romans, after they, the Romans let them keep doing Eleusinian Mysteries until literalist Christianity took over. So then they started, then they made an edict that you had to be Christian within the Roman Empire. It's a pretty amazing story how that happened. And then they started going around the rest of Europe and saying to the Germanic, you know, cultures, okay, you can either get baptized or we'll cut your head off. Which right. one do you want? Right. And then they and then they did the same thing to the Druids. And then they started once they had Europe and the Mediterranean nailed down, then they basically started the same thing around the world. So then, you know, you still have this well, we're allowed to conquer that country, of course, because we're Christian and they're not, and we're bringing them, you know, it's a, a this mentality of we're better, and, and and you still have, you know, people going around to, you know, someone who was raised in a shamanic culture in Mongolia, and you have missionaries going to them and saying, well, you know, Jesus is more powerful than all the gods that your shamans pray to, so why don't you come over to this one? Right. And I, and I think that's very wrong to impose, you know, to stamp out someone else's original instructions because you said that you're, hey, ours is right and yours is wrong. Well, I can show that they're actually all based on the same system. Well, they're that, actually that's all kind based of on social engineering star. 101 as we've seen it here in 2019, in my humble opinion. It's like, uh, yeah, whatever. But, um, Patrick, we've been on for a hot minute, man. Anything you want to follow up here, to holler at boy David, no, before we let us slide? No, incredible conversation, man. I, I mean, I asked a few questions just, just to keep things rolling, but well, and you are uh, the co-host hey, of the David, show, so we kind of like that. That's all we want. We want our guests to talk, and we shut the up. Yeah, I mean, I've, <laughs> I, I found his work so very fascinating, man, and I've just really. All of my kind of adult life, man, I, I was an old Art Bell cat, man. So when guys like Richard Holgood would come on or I mean, I would just get fascinated by these stories of and even Graham Hancock in, you know, whatever. Everyone has, you know, their own truth in their world. But it was just so very fascinating to hear these different alternative thoughts on the world, man. And we, I've, ancient, ancient of stuff, truth come from everywhere. It does, man. And the ancient stuff really this fascinates me. the truth. We don't know. We That's don't know. Part. We don't know. But as we, again, all have agreed on, like, there was Explore. something going on way back in the day, and it's just been lost, man. What did Graham Hancock say? We're a civilization with amnesia. And we see that play out in so many different yeah. ways in society, man. David Matheson, any social networking, any websites? Where, where can we follow you, man? I know you've had a lot of books. Where can we pick some of that stuff up, man? Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for having me on. It was I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope it was <laughs> I hope it was coherent to the listeners. And you know, I put this out. Uh, I put this information out there because I I want to help. I want to be positive with it. I want to help people with it. I'm not trying to put down other people. Um, you know, if you find value in in any scripture and taking it literally, 
I'm not trying, I'm putting this out there for the people who are looking for this and not trying to uh, step on anybody else uh, who isn't, but, uh, but you can find my, yeah. So my work's on, uh, I've got a website called starmythworld.com, which is short for star myths of the world. And you can find starmythworld.com starmythworld.com. You can find books, my, you know, you can find sample content of my books. Of course you can find them on various bookstore websites and you can order them at your local bookstore, but there's also a blog that's on that. Um, videos are listed on there. You can go to my YouTube, uh, channel is actually called Matheson Corollary because that was the name of my first book. But, um, some of those videos are linked on the star myth world. So if you go there then you can just click on and subscribe if you want to i appreciate you know anyone who wants to spread this info to anyone that would be interested in it especially if you know someone in a university who studies you know who's a professor of mythology i i I really (laughs) i don't know if academia will ever come around to this but it's the evidence is just overwhelming but i think eventually they have no choice i would love to get honestly we do swap casts all the time people different different as soon as we pull away from as, as soon as we pull it away from state-funded state and national government-funded education and just student-funded, they'll eventually learn the truth, David. <laughs> well, I guess that's the whole point. They've kept us from us low these centuries, so we, we need shows like these. I want to get you together. Department of Education. Yes, that's a part of it. But I need to get you on board with my man, Matthew LaCroix. I would love to hear you guys chat because somewhere within yeah. – are, are you familiar with Matthew? I don't think so. Although maybe, you know, I was at a uh, conference in 2016 and if, if he's, I, I did meet someone there. I don't remember. I haven't kept up with him since then, but, um, but I might've, if, if Matt was there, I might've met him, but that's all right. I mean, your, your minds work very similarly. And I mean, your, your thought processes would be great to just come together and just tease it all out. I mean, you may not agree on everything, but ultimately we are agreeing on the fact again, that there is some, so much in ancient civilization that has been hidden from us and we need to do all we can to kind of keep that conversation going because obviously there's a concerted effort to keep it from us man so i truly cannot thank you so much i do enough for your time dude this was <laughs> this was sweet dude come back i mean as you know these conversations unfold man i i truly feel man and we've talked about this on the show and i'm sure maybe other civilizations have thought this we're in a shift man we're in a paradigm consciousness shift right now and, yes, we are. and we need these com- more more and more of these conversations because more and more people are getting metaphorically red pilled and everybody thinks mm-hmm. they're woke, but not really woke. But more people are having these kind of alternative conversations. So, again, um, David Matheson, um, check out his YouTube page again, the, his visual illustration it does so much more justice in this conversation, even though this was a dope conversation. Him showing you particularly, you know, Hercules and some of the other deities he spoke about. There's something to all this stuff, man. He's not. Pulling it out of his bunghole. Thank so. you for your higher intellect, sir. Absolutely. Well, hey, thanks. Thank you for what you guys are doing. I mean, I, I know we're we're wrapping up here, so I don't want to yeah, make absolutely. it long. But no, I think I mean, it's whatever really else you need to say, to have, bro. I think it's really important to have alternative voices out there, as we know 100%. that the 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 squelching of information. I mean, we just touched on the JFK assassination, but the fact that that has been covered up. I mean, there's is obviously the media is obviously controlled and it's not just a recent phenomenon not at all. so not you know you know we don't we don't uh we don't necessarily agree on every political now you just spoke, now yeah. you just spoke to our listeners yeah, no he's so. been speaking to our listeners dude come on now <laughs> well of course of course but i'm just saying that that right uh, there everyone 
that listens to the conspiracy farm says these people are searching for the truth and those other people are not. Right. Well, and, and, and like I said, you know, we don't all have to agree with one another. And I do think it's we've got to be careful of dead ends that, you know, it's like, OK, these sheep are escaping the pen. Let's put a little dead end that winds over here and they'll think they're getting away and they're just going into this little dead end uh, back back uh, back channel. For sure. Just, it, it's, him, it's a beautiful but, but, these but, conversations but, just need to be had, man. And then everyone exactly. else needs to be adult and just do their homework and just follow up. We're not trying to tell you motherfuckers how to think or live, et cetera, et cetera. Do your homework, man. This guy's David's work. I mean, literally, I was blowing my mind the other day, the Hercules thing. I don't know why I'm fixing on Hercules, but that that trend throughout history has been absolutely amazing as far as visually illustrated throughout art, throughout history. I mean, these are beautiful conversations, man, and I enjoy having and it's them. In, and it's in the Americas. Yeah. But anyway, I was going to say I commend you guys. And I love that attitude where, hey, look, we may not agree on every single point, but let's talk. You know, let's all agree to have a discussion and, and without uh, a doubt, try and get there. Being so. in the Americas, dude, I am like miles away from Cahokia. And you come up the Mississippi <laughs> River, you got Lake Egypt, you got Cairo over this way in Tennessee, you got Memphis. So there's so much Egyptian influence over here. I mean, we're just not being told the whole story, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I hope we cross paths in person one of these days. So we absolutely lot, will. Guys. The universe will, will we it. Will, David, David, David will. Matheson, ladies and gentlemen, peace and so much love. Thank you guys for tuning in. Peace. There will always be more. <laughs>